Listener Production. to Darling Shine, a podcast by myself, Elodie Pullen, and me, Chloe Fisher, a place where we ground womanhood's unspoken experiences from grief to fertility and everything in between. Join us while we transform our pain into power, encompassing all emotions, ugly and beautiful. Darling Shine is your chosen family and your survival kit for the unexpected shit life throws at you. Hey there, producer Carly here. One of the girl's favourite sayings is if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And I think that's part of the appeal of this podcast, right? Here are two incredible women who have been through huge life stuff and even through the depths of grief, they don't take themselves too seriously. I'm not sure about you, but it's not uncommon for me to have a cry from laughter and heartache in the same episode. This episode, we're going to look at some of the moments that had us reaching for a box of Kleenex. Kicking off this episode with that unforgettable moment where Elodie's mum, Karen, read out a poem she had written about Chumpy. It's from the Meet Elodie's Mum episode in May. And as always, there'll be links to these featured episodes in the show notes. So if you hear something you've never heard before and you want to go back and have a listen, so easy. Just check the show notes and I'll pop links in there for you. And if there was like one thing, like if you could go, I mean, I guess you guys could probably maybe both answer this if, it, if, you, if you're okay with it. If there's like, if you can speak to him right now and there's one thing that you could say, what would you, what would you tell him? Mm. I'd tell him how much we all love him. And tell him all about what a beautiful baby he's got Mm. and how it's such a shame he's not here to nurture this child and bring her up to be confident and secure the way that I know he would have. He would have been adventurous, but he would have had a safety net there so she'd grow confident, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm. Mm. I just, like, feel like I... It's like one of those things where... If I could see him right now and have a conversation with him, I just, like, don't know what I would say because there's so much I want to say. You know Mm. what I mean? Like, where do you begin? Like, where do you begin? I'd almost just, like, if he can't come back and he's just there and it's got to be this quick chat, I just want him to know that everything's okay. Minnie's great. She's a fucking legend. Mm. And we love you so much. We, like, worship you. Mm. But there's so much I want to know and ask him and, like, talk to him. Like, it's just so weird. I'd love to have a chat with him, but I don't know what I would say. I think yeah. I would just be like fucking, I think I would just freeze. I present <laughs> I'd just hug him. I just want to hug him. Yeah. Mm. Imagine. Oh, I need tissues. Is there a <laughs> tissue man coming? Sorry for that question, everybody. <laughs> Mum wrote a really beautiful poem, though. Oh, you yeah. You can read that out if you want, Okay. <laughs> I'll need my glasses. You don't have to, though. You can read your favourite bit out of it. <laughs> You know, I'll Mum read it. just wrote the cute, like the most beautiful poem. It was ages well, it's ago. Well, yeah, a tribute on the anniversary, the first anniversary of his death, and my thoughts on him passing. Thursday, the eighth of April, two thousand and twenty-one, marked the first year of Chumpy's passing, and as such, my daughter Elodie, Chumpy's parents Chris and Sal, and his sister Emma, has changed forever. His sudden and tragic death sent shockwaves through us all, as well as, his, as well as extended family, friends and the worldwide community. Exceptional is a word that readily comes to mind when I talk of Alex, a natural leader, a decision maker who inspired all with his zest for life and his love and gratitude for all things he had in his life. 
With his inspirational and thought-provoking spirit, he ignited passion and truth in all who took notice. His word was his bond and he planned everything with purpose. He meticulously and lovingly cared for all that he had in his life, most prominently my daughter Elodie, who was his centre. I I try not to look at photos of Alex lest I cry, but when I do look, the word majestic jumps out at me, for he truly was majestic with his stand-firm approach, his activism, passionate and strong ideals on, on the environment and social issues, and, of course, his love of sports and music. How I would have loved to watch him grow older and for those ideals to grow. Our families are overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. My daughter awakens every day and chooses life, to live every day, every day with hope and makes a concerted effort to bring forth her infectious effervescence so that she can carry on Alex's legacy and make him proud of her and of their shared life that was. For every day she feels his presence and is comforted in the knowledge that he will never truly leave her. But in her private moments she succumbs to immense sadness, which is almost too much for me as her mother to bear. Alex, on the day of your death, I cradled your head in my hands and said a prayer over you. Sorry about that, by the way, I know you're not religious. (laughs) I thought to myself, if I could swap places with you, I would. I often ponder why for some dynamic people, life ceases to exist far too young. It's cruel and inexplicable that life can shift so swiftly and unexpectedly. I now find I must stand tall, reset myself and steady the ship as both my children need my support. I am pivotal in helping Elodie navigate through her grief, being her strength as well as a soft and safe place for her to fall. Also for my son David, he has suffered other losses and this last has affected him more than most realise. Him and Chumpy shared a deep bond and a kindred spirit with an albeit decidedly different delivery that marked their individuality. When tall trees fall, when great trees fall, sorry, a very great tree has fallen and will leave an indelible mark. Oh, no. <laughs> You're clever. Man, that's amazing. Chump loved you so much. So, so beautiful. <laughs> he loved your outfits mostly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute, Mum. I can't even believe you wrote that. It was really nice. Oh, thank you. Next up, you guys let me know how much this episode impacted so many of you. It's the episode on early pregnancy loss and miscarriage with Sam Payne from Pink Elephants. Here's Sam and Chloe. I was going through my first miscarriage and I I did not know anyone. I was, I think, 29 I literally had no idea that that was even a thing for a 29-year-old person to go through. I know that I knew that my mum had had a miscarriage, but I was like, oh, okay, you know, it happens. And then you go to the hospital and they give you the pamphlets. And it's just such, it's so not a personal experience. You get sort of sent home, you're feeling like shit. Then you get either booked in for a DNC and you go and have your DNC and it's the saddest experience ever, actually, because you go in 100%. with this little embryo inside you and you leave feeling like you've got a, like a hole just like actually like cut out of you and you're just left on your own. And the, even I, I, I'm sure when I, maybe on my pamphlet or someone did tell me about the Pink Elephant Support Network, but this is obviously, you know, you've done so much work to get to that point. You kind of want that space for people that are going through the same thing as you to sort of like hold each other, to grieve with each other because I found it really difficult to talk to friends who hadn't been through it because you don't want to keep on continuously saying like, 
you wouldn't understand sort of thing because that's I think that that's not nice because everyone's only trying to do their best. But you really do find a sense of comfort when you find someone who has actually been through that that, that same experience. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to explain, right? I think that's part of it. We know from the women that we support, they feel a need to explain to people how they're feeling continually because we have such a lack of education around the true impact of miscarriage and pregnancy loss that people don't meet it with the same empathy as, say, a later term loss or another family member passes away. And therefore, then there's this constant justification as to why you're still feeling this way. And then you add that with a layer of, okay, it's been two weeks now, you really should be all right, you should be back at work. And everyone assumes that miscarriage, because the gestation may have only been six, maybe eight weeks, they kind of quantify your grief to allow the same time frame. And if you go past that, then you're looked at in a strange way. And there's this explanation that you can't do that when you're in the grief yourself, trying to explain to other people how much this is hurting Mm. and how all the different things you're feeling is too much. Yeah, I know. We we hear all the time and it's, and I've said it a million times myself, but it's like one in four, I'm one in four. I feel like I'm like, I've had four, I'm four in four at the moment. Hmm. Um, But do we actually have stats on how many women are miscarrying each day or each year? Is there like a number that you can give or or is that sort of something that's not really documented? It's not really documented and this makes me so angry. Um, So there is no national collection of early pregnancy loss data within Australia. So what I mean by that is, is there's many different ways that we normally capture um, medical management and this Early pregnancy loss is tied in with abortion data because it's referred to in different different clinical language. The issue that we have, though, is if we don't measure the number of early pregnancy losses, it tells you how much this is disenfranchised, how much the medical system does not meet the needs of those going through it. Because if you don't count it, you don't fund it, you don't support it, you're not aware. There's kind of like this whole measurement that happens. We've lobbied the census to try and have early pregnancy loss included in there. We've hit another roadblock with that at the moment. But it's not just the ABS. There's the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare that should have codes that should be measuring the data. But I guess one of the things that we noticed with our Leave for Loss campaign was it took an organization dedicated to the needs of those that go through early pregnancy loss to spot these gaps, to spot these glaring omissions and say, hey, why are we not counting this? And it's more than just the validation it provides to a parent. Because when you say, I'm not going to count your baby, you're saying your baby doesn't exist. Mm. You, You are disenfranchising us and that's not good enough. But it's more than that. How are we meant to change the system? How are we meant to ensure that every person has support after their miscarriage? How are we meant to make sure that everyone can access a clinic to have a DNC? Because if you don't live in a metropolitan area, that in itself is a massive issue. But unless we know the true number of losses that are happening in these areas, then the health system can't be funded to meet that need. So yeah, it's a big part of our advocacy that we want. We talk about it in the language of count our babies, but it's really important. And there is, there's at best a guestillation where we work back from live birth data. So we say the live birth is this, if it's one in four pregnancies, and that this is the amount that we're losing. And who could forget Dr. Davidson's wife, Louise, in the chumpy sperm retrieval, the full story from back in April. This episode was a labour of love. There were a bunch of different characters in this episode. We heard from Gabe, the receptionist, Laura Enova. We also heard from Dr. Davidson and... This woman, Dr. Davidson's wife, Louise. I'm not sure whether I wanted Louise to be my mum or my best friend, 
What a legend. Here she is. Wow. Yeah, it felt like more than just a procedure. When I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, it feels like a really, like a special, like you actually cared for him and you didn't know him and it just felt really beautiful. Yeah, and we did know him. But, you know, there's there's times in life that you just know that something's important. Mm. And I think, you know, we just went with that. We just knew it was important. And I'd worked in oncology before I had kids, so I knew what, you know, death was all about. I'd I'd looked after somebody dying, you know, every day. So death was a very familiar place for me. And I knew that when somebody died that their spirit could still be there. And I knew that it was important to talk to him and I knew it was important that... That, that I, you know, I shared what was going on and, and I knew, I, I didn't know you at all. I, I had no idea who you were, but I knew mm. that, you know, I knew that he was loved. Oh. And so that was really important. So I just, yeah, I just held his hand and then I said, look, we're just going to give it the best shot we possibly can. And, and, and just spoke to him. Yeah, of course. Yes, of course. I spoke oh, to him. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. so cute. Yeah. I don't know if I'm sweating or crying. It's all a lot. <laughs> and what did lot. you say? I was explaining the situation and... Obviously, I mean, I'm trying to help Andrew and I'm, you know, just sort of saying, oh, you know, this is what it is. And, this is. and I think what I wanted to say to him was, and the thing that I remember the most and what I wanted to share with you was that we were going to do the best we could. You know, that was important. We were going to do the very best we could because we knew it would be important for him and it would be important for you. Wow. Oh, he's so he's so lucky. I'm so lucky. Like he wanted a baby so badly as well. He was going to be the most amazing dad, and I think he'd just be so stoked. Yeah, with what we've all done. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. He'd just be so glad we have little Minnie here, his daughter. Um, obviously, him. Obviously, my main hurt and his main hurt, I'm sure, is because he's not here to bring her up. But He'll always just, be in your heart, though, Elodie. I think that's the thing. He's always in your heart. So he yeah. is always here. He's, yeah. he's with you in your heart. And I think that that's, that's what's so important. Yeah, he's think... always with you every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, you need so a group much. Hug. <laughs> this next episode was a really defining moment in Chloe's life. As she's admitted here recently, she was really struggling in the middle of this year. She was trying to walk this line of giving people what they wanted from her whilst maintaining her own mental well-being. It was time for her to have a little peace and quiet and privacy. So here's Chloe talking with Cece Jeffries about where she was at that point in time. And this episode was called Privacy is Peace with fertility advocate Cece Jeffries from early August this year. People just don't know the emotions unless they've been in it. Yeah, I really feel like that at the moment. Like I find it so hard to articulate what I want to say. And I think especially with the podcast, like when we started, it was the start of both of our fertility journeys and obviously we got Minimoo and like it was just so beautiful following the story and I guess there's so many people on there on here and our listeners that are here to continually follow my story but I feel right now you know I went to I've gone to Europe I feel like I do it every like I'm going to take my mind off things a little bit and just you know you kind of like at the back of my mind just always think oh maybe I'm just going to fall pregnant naturally because I'm not thinking about it because it's just like every person wants to say that to you and I think that's fucking utter bullshit. <laughs> Don't say that to someone. Yeah, but I, I'm sick of hearing it and it's like yeah. I'm at the point now where I'm at like 
the peak of my stress and I'm just trying to work out where to go next and like what to do. And I, I, and I feel like I don't blame myself for coming on here and giving my all because everyone's got those expectations that they want to know. But I feel like right now, all I want to do is be so private and every second person is asking me like, what are you doing? Are you pregnant? Are you coming? Like over and over and over again. And I'm so triggered by it now that I'm, I'm like literally scared to come on here and talk because I'm, I just, I literally have no words anymore because I'm so, I'm so stressed about the situation and I'm so upset about the situation. And like, I don't know, I feel like coming on to doing the podcast. I never would have thought I was here like, like two years later, sitting here like talking about that. I don't know where I'm at. It was meant to be like a happy ending, but like I still can't, like it's going to happen one day, but I still can't really foresee the end, the end goal. And I'm just like, I need the privacy, especially because our life is like so um, public. It's, it's really difficult because everyone wants to know. And I'm like in a bit of a rut at the moment and trying to, I've never been this person ever. And it's like, I swear to God, it's created this weird person in myself. I don't know. I find it really hard to explain what it's done. but And I think it's because we're so public on here too that it makes it yeah. even harder. You've been so yeah. open and vulnerable here and you've helped so many people and everyone's so invested, which is beautiful. You've been such yeah. an open book and you've never thought, we never thought you'd still be here three years on. We thought you'd have a baby in your hands or two. And now you're feeling like you want to close this book and go more private, like what you mm. like what you said, Cece. Privacy is peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to be private here on Darling Shine, and fertility consumes your whole life. So when you jump on and you do other episodes, it's still it's still so front and center in your mind, and it's hard to switch. Yeah, it'd be so hard to switch into other gears, and it'd be so taxing. It's so unfair. You know, it's not like you're just Jane from Smith Street around the corner who's trying to have a baby. You know, you are Chloe Fisher who has an enormous following and an extremely famous husband and everyone wants to know it and that's really fucking hard. Yeah. You know, you want to give everyone good news and that's really, it's really difficult because the uncertainty is what causes us so much anxiety because we don't, we don't know. And if we knew, then the anxiety yeah. would be much lower. I got my period on the plane and even though like I know that it's like really unlikely, I don't know, I don't have any, I got to shake the like no belief, but I don't really have any belief that I'm going to fall pregnant like anytime soon because like I just, fuck, that's just it for me. And like, but still every single time I get my period, I have this full meltdown and I was just on the plane flying back to Oz and the entertainment units were down on the, the whole plane and there was no Wi-Fi I literally got my period as I boarded and I spent 13 hours with my own thoughts and cried half the way. It was, I was the biggest mess. And I think there's something about altitudes that also makes you super emotional. And I was just beside myself, like shaking. And it, you know, it was good in a way because I actually got to really sit with myself and be like, holy shit, you're not okay fuck, we need to sort you out immediately because like you're at breaking point. Yeah, it sort of was like bittersweet in a way that that happened because, yeah, it's, it was, I don't know, I finally think I've realised that like, nah, 
I got to process some shit, hey. It can hit you. And you came on and we also have Cece on and, and on. this is just such a coincidence as well <laughs> and such good timing. I sort of wish I was in the sitting room with you guys at the moment, but that's okay. <laughs> I know. Fuck. <laughs> but, yeah, Very it's a hard. lot. It's a lot. Now, this one took me back in time to that first year of motherhood, which I personally found equal parts magical and fucking hard. I remember when we recorded this episode how much of an impact Elle telling this story had on me personally. And I wasn't in the thick of grief losing the love of my life whilst parenting a newborn. So I can't even imagine how this experience was for Elle. But I do remember those late nights and early mornings wondering how I would get through this and whether it would ever end note, it did. (laughs) My baby is now 10 years old almost and these days are a distant memory but they are forever seared in my soul. Here's Elle talking about how hard being a solo parent of a newborn can be from the Q&A, your most asked questions answered episode from the end of May. What is the hardest thing about mum life alone and how are you going with it? The hardest thing about mum life alone is just literally being alone with her and sometimes if she's having a meltdown or grizzly, like like, there's no one else there to help. Like I can't just offload her for a minute and get some space or have a shower or like sometimes it's just, just that, that you're literally physically alone with her and there's just no relief. For me it gets easier and easier as I just get to, grow with her and learn with her and understand her ways more and she's getting older and in ways she's getting easier in that it's less demanding but I don't know harder in some ways too because then sometimes she's more demanding it's so weird I, I can't explain it but I do love this age and I'm loving she's one and a half and it's like I don't know if I say this about every age but I think it is my favorite age I was thinking back to this time the other day when she was a newborn and I was alone obviously at night and she was not sleeping and Minnie was really not a good sleeper at the start. She was a really good day sleeper but then at night I felt like I wasn't sleeping. We were constantly feeding and at the start when you first have a baby, every feed for the first few weeks literally is a two-hour feed. It takes them that long to empty one boob and then they've got to empty another boob and it's like it's two hours each time. You're waking up in the middle of the night and Minnie would feed for two hours each time and there's been multiple feeds so you literally aren't sleeping. And some people fall asleep in their sleep while they're feeding it. I couldn't because I was I, I sleep so deep. I was like, I'll crush her. And I just went so delirious. I remember one night pacing. I, she wouldn't sleep. She had colic and she was screaming her head off and not nothing would fucking settle her. She was fed. She was happy. Like, you know, there was nothing that would fix her colics, just like just unsettled baby for like apparently no no reason, like nothing fixes it, not medication, not nothing. And I was just pacing up and down. My, I would walk downstairs, put her in the sling thing around my chest, like the wrap when they're tiny, you put them in those wrap things, pacing up and down my hallway with white noise going. And I was just fucking howling, crying so much because I was so tired and delirious and so angry at this little baby, this little innocent baby that just wouldn't sleep. And I was so mad at her. I was just like, fucking sleep. You'll be happier if you just fall asleep and I'll be happier. And I just like, well, lots of people find themselves in tough situations or if you're in a bit of a spiral of like having a shit moment, like having a bit of a depressive moment. In that moment, you can 
you fully are like, I will not get out of this. I'll, I don't know if I'll feel okay again. Will I ever not be tired? Will I ever be happy again? Will I ever not be crying? Like I don't see light at the end of this tunnel. And I just remember feeling so like fucking doomed in that moment because I was so delirious and I was worried that I was just going to like just fully not like not be able to handle it at all. That's why I love when I'm with you and Fish because like I think we all look at each other all the time and we're like this is so fucking easy Minnie's a gem she's the best thing ever but it's because we're sharing the load with three of us and it's like that fuck it's so <laughs> easy when I'm with you that's why I always want to be with you guys <laughs> but I love you guys as well obviously we just share the load between the three of us I Minnie's mean, equally obsessed with all of us whereas when I'm alone it's like three times as hard because it's just all on me no one will really seize I guess what it's like unless you're alone with a baby a single mum yeah when it is just you and them and it is it is hard but it's the best obviously most rewarding thing ever so I I hate to complain because I'm so lucky as you know and as we all know I'm so lucky to fucking have her so I feel sometimes guilty about complaining and that's the double-edged sword especially with everything you and me like every time we complain we have to fucking catch ourselves because someone's going to be like oh you're fucking lucky you're privileged stop crying it's like we know that but sometimes yeah. life is hard so we want to it's always a double-edged sword over here at darling shine isn't it <laughs> it is I also know there's a lot of single mums that don't have the support that I have I have the best friends around me and I'm so fucking lucky and I don't know how I got so lucky and my mum is amazing as well she's so on board and many loves her like I'm so grateful and I know a lot of people don't have the support I have but I just want people to know it is fucking hard and I've had really 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 hard times as well as it's all like what you see on Instagram it's it is great a lot of the time but yeah it's fucking hard a lot of the time too and maybe I don't show that yes and we're going to end this episode with an episode that I bawled my eyes out editing Earlier this year, while Elle and Minnie were holidaying in Europe with the fishes, it might have looked idyllic from Instagram, but this just goes to show that that's not often the reality of what's going on inside someone. You know, grief is such a strange beast, isn't it? It's always there. And it changes, but it never really leaves us. It just, it's just that we grow around our grief. And I think it's really important to remember that one moment is not definitive of an entire life experience, right? It's just one moment in time. And in this moment, Elle was really feeling it. Now, Elle lives a full and often really wonderful life for which she's very grateful. And even with all of that, it never fills the chumpy-sized hole that's been left. So here's Elle reflecting on life in the Three Years Without Chump episode from July. I think things happen when you're ready for them. So this is so wild, actually. So recently, and I don't even think we spoke about the Mick Fanning golf day like on here, but it was just such a fun golf day and Mick Fanning raises all this money for the flood victims down in New South Wales, who I think so many people forgot that they're actually still, so many of them are super homeless still and like, literally haven't been back to their houses and the whole team and like Bolter put on this massive golf day. I think they raised like, fuck, nearly a million dollars and it's just so sick. And this is the second one they've done. Anyway, I was with the Lululemon team on the golf day and it was the fucking funnest day. I literally can't wait for next year already. Anyway, after the presentation, everyone's getting, having a few drinks. We're all getting a bit lit. 
I'm not going to name names either because like maybe they don't want this. So I had this beautiful guy come up to me and he was like, Elle, I've been wanting to bump into you and I've been wanting to say this for so long. But And he was like shaking and crying and he's like, I was the lifeguard on duty that day that worked on Chump for like an hour and I and he was crying. He's like, I wanted, I was like trying to save him and like I was just like, holy fuck. So it was two lifeguards on that day and I'd had a moment with the other one because funnily enough his wife gave birth a few days after I gave birth to Minnie in the same hospital and we had the same midwife and that was really cute. And then the other lifeguard on duty that was like his wingman came up to me and said that when I get home and after the snow and everything, we're going to catch up and, and chat and have coffee because for his sake too, he's like, I, I want to chat about it. Like this has really affected me as well. I, like we were really smart in the moment for not, because we were also like drinking. I was like in such a good place where I was like, oh my God, mate, like thank you. And I wanted to cuddle him and just be like, fuck, I hope you're okay, but let's park this right now and fucking enjoy tonight. And we need a chat when we're sober so we can actually like both have a bit of a healing situation. Yeah, we can talk about the details if he probably wants to get them off his chest. And it would help me probably too, because I, I've shut out, like I didn't see Trump's body and I, I kind of shut it out all the time. Like just the whole, that whole day, I'm like, I just like to leave it black. And I'm like, maybe I need to like unravel it. So maybe it's like this has been the right time in that it's been three years and like maybe it's happened like that because straight after two, three hours later when we were really, really fucking lit and we'd been to like three pubs later and everyone was extra merry, I had this other fucking legend come up to me. Like this is just wild that this happened in the same night. Okay. And he's like, L, same thing. I can't believe I haven't run into you. I've I've actually went away for the last two and a half years because I just needed to deal with so much. And I'm like, where the fuck is this going? And he's like, I was the one, the surfer that found Chump. I was out there on the reef and I was surfing and I found Chump, but I went down there and I picked him up and I paddled him into the lifeguards. And I was just like, Tiana, one of my other best friends was with me and we're just like both fucking balling. We're like, is this, what is this night? Like what is, like, do you know what I mean? How how have these two people just come into my life and these two stories, like game-changing things that I don't know will really be so beneficial for my healing and their healing, like just come at the same time. And, And I was just like, oh, my God, mate, like thank you. Fucking you, me, and the lifeguard, we're all getting together. Oh, no, nah, we'll probably do it separately, but. I want goosebumps completely. I know, it was just crazy. I was just like, I'm so, so fucking sorry. Now me thinking about that, like, you know, you obviously, we've been there through everything with you, but you actually forget that there's people that find people that have crazy accidents like this and then yeah. they have to also, you know, people f- absolutely forget about them. They're like the unspoken heroes of the whole. Yeah and yeah. the grief and like the trauma and everything on top of that that they must be going through and they just like the ones that get like completely brushed under the mat and they're like oh yeah thank you but now you know these people have to do it it's wow I can't believe you actually haven't told me that by the way and that's it for this episode producer Carly out oh, 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 oh.